Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Tonight, what I want to tell you is that if, if you're a Christian here, the job that God has for you, it's actually a dream job because God wants you, if we're talking about making spiritual money, I guess you could say, or laying up treasure in heaven, we get this idea that God wants us to be like, you know, living on like, in a t- living on a, hold on, let me back that up, <laughs> living on a lake, hold on, you ever get tired? <laughs> okay, let me, here's the thing. We don't, th- we think that, when we think of God's job for us, we don't think of dream job. We think that, you know, we're, we're supposed to be like, you know, a missionary living uh, in a dirt, like mud adobe on the banks of Lake Titicaca with like a, you know, that's a lake. It's a real lake. It's a real lake. It's a real lake. I'm not editing out of the podcast because it's a real lake. But no, you're, you're missing the point, okay? We get this idea that God wants us to be miserable if we're serving him. And that's actually nothing could be further from the truth. That your job for God, it's actually a dream job. And you can actually have fun doing it. And you can actually do it with your friends. And it could be something that brings you joy. And that's what we're going to talk about in a roundabout way. Because we're in the, we did this two-week series. It's called Clicks. And the, the premise of this is, you know, the question, are clicks good or bad? I, we passed out index cards to you last week. And um, on that, you were supposed to write whether or not clicks were bad or clicks were good. Um, pretty much the majority of you said, I don't have exact numbers, but I would say like probably 71.2% of you said that clicks were bad. Um, another 20% said they were good. And then there was another um, negligible portion of you that just straight out said they suck. <laughs> So, um, so, so pretty much the consensus is clicks are bad. And we looked up the dictionary definition of a click, and this is what the dictionary definition of a click is. A click is a small group of people with shared interests or other things in common who spend time together and do not readily allow others to join them. And what we realized is that's mo- this is what we think of when we think of a click, isn't it? And it's that last part of the sentence, do not readily allow others to join them. You know, we think about the time that we walked into a church or that we walked into a school lunchroom and yeah, everybody was kind of like huddled around and there was no room in the huddle for you or there's no room in the huddle for me. And we remember what it was like to be shunned or make, you know, made, made, like we, made, us, made to feel like we weren't worthy. And that's the bad definition of a click. And sadly, sometimes, even in church, clicks get to be that way. We know they get to be that way in school. That's a bad click. But what we did was we looked at the fact that Jesus set up a click. And Jesus set up a click that was actually open and it was actually good and it was actually reaching people. So we came up with the definition of, you know, last week we looked at Jesus' click and this is what we determined that Jesus' click was. It was a small group of people with shared interests or other things in common who spent time together and readily invited others to join them. So Jesus' click was an open click, and they were actually trying to like help heal people and reach people and, 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 and help people get to know God. So they were an open click. They never turned away anyone. So what we learn is, whether or not you want to admit it, everybody's part of a click. Everybody's got people. You know, you, whether your people are here, or whether your people are at school, or whether your people are the ones that you play a sport with, or you're, you're involved in the arts with, you got, you got people. Um, so what God's will is, is for you and your people 
to be open and readily invite others to, 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 join, to join them. So last week we talked about what does it mean to be a good friend to your friends. And, you know, we talked about some hard stuff. We talked about how we should be forgiving and how should we, we should be loving to each other and how we, should, you know, how we should honor one another above ourselves and how we should put other people first rather than put us first. And we, we talked about how to, get, how to reach your clique. Now what we're going to learn about is the fact that when Jesus set up his clique, he set up his clique to go. He, he set up his clique to, to reach people. So we're going to look at the same passage we looked at last week but we're going to look further into it, and it's Matthew chapter 10, if you have your Bible. If not, um, the words are going to be on the screen, so you can kind of read along with me. This is where Jesus called his click. Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus goes, okay, I want you, 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 you. Actually, I don't think Jesus passed over people. I think he looked for the people that were willing to join him. But Jesus collects his group of people. But why, do, why did Jesus call people out? Does anybody know? Like, if you back up a little bit in this passage, and you back up to chapter 9, you'll see what happened. Um, it's, it's a story that's in the Bible, and if, you, if, if you've read through the Bible before, you may have heard of this story. Jesus is going around, and he's healing people. Like, people are just coming up like, Jesus, I can't see, and he goes, now you can see. People say, Jesus, I can't walk. Now you can walk. And Jesus is healing people, and of course, you know how it is. He just gets mobbed. Have you ever been somewhere where there's a famous person? Like Sylvester Stallone? No. Um, who did you see, Blake? What was the famous person? Who? A picture with Lecrae. Were you the only one that got a picture with him? <laughs> so, but the people that recognized him, they were probably on him like a bum on a baloney sandwich, weren't they? Um, so Jesus was getting, people were like, hey, Jesus, that's Jesus. Maybe he can, he can heal my, like, pinky toe that was broken. Or, like, yeah, people are coming. I feel, always feel bad. Like, I, I'd, always, I'd feel bad. I feel bad for doctors because I just feel like doctors probably get hit up by like all kinds of people wanting them to show them their foot fungus and all kinds of other stuff. You know, but think about Jesus. Jesus is like having all these people, hey, Jesus, can you heal this? Hey, Jesus. And they're all pressing in on him, but they all represent people who really needed something, and they represent people who were, you know, they were in a tough situation, and Jesus looks at all these people. And Jesus was God, but he was in human flesh. He, was, he became a person so, he, so that he could be with us, and Jesus is looking out, and it's beyond his ability to reach all these people by himself in a human body. So he says in Matthew 9, verses 36 through 38, it says, When he, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus turns to his people, his guys, and he says, Look at all these people who need hope and all these people who need healing. You know what you guys should do? You should pray that God finds some people to, to, to help these people. And then <laughs> it's like, plot twist, hey, guess what? It's you guys. I'm calling you, 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 you. I want you to go and heal all these people, and I want you to go give these people hope. So it started with a need. It started with a need, that there was a, there was a need. Jesus saw the need, and he sent his disciples out. You know we live in a city where there's a huge need, right? 
You know we live in a city where there are a lot of, and I'm not just talking about downtown Huntington. I'm talking about into Barbersville and into Ona and Milton and Cologne and, and up to Lesage and down. Even, there are even people that need hope in Salt Rock. Can you believe that, Tanner? There's, there are people in, in Salt Rock that need hope. Our area is economically depressed. We're spiritually depressed. And you know what's so interesting is that our area has a church on literally pretty much every street corner. Our problem is not that we don't have enough churches. Our problem is not our problem is that the gospel is not the good news about Jesus is not getting to people. Our area is overchurched and undergospeled. So there is a huge need. Just like there was a need when Jesus turned to his disciples, there's a need right here. But if you keep reading, there's not just a need, but as we talked about, Jesus says the answer. He point, you know, all these people, and I bet the disciples are like, man, Jesus, you know, somebody better do something about that. You know, and some of us as Christians, we look around at all the ridiculousness that's going on in our area and we're like, you know what? They need Jesus. Somebody should go tell them about Jesus. And you're just going there, you're shaking your hips like this and working your finger like this. And you're the one that Jesus is calling. There's a need and there's an answer. And you know what the answer is? You. You know what God's plan is to save the world? You. You know what God's plan is for Huntington? You. You know what God's plan is for Cabell Midland and for Huntington High and for Grace? you. There's an answer, and guess what? You're it. That should either be a huge blessing or it should be kind of scary, but God says the spirit within us is not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit of a sound mind, so guess what? It's a blessing. God wants us to be on board with what he's doing, so there's not just an answer, but there's a call. If you look at this verse, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease. There's a pretty cool thing here. It says Jesus, you can go to the next slide, Jake. It says Jesus called his 12 disciples. There was a call. And then it says he gave them authority. This is really interesting because every time Jesus sends someone out, he gives them his authority. You look at this verse, he sends his disciples out and he gives them his authority. In Matthew 28, what does he say? He says, all authority given to me on heaven and earth. And then he says, therefore, go and make disciples. So there's this transference of authority. So it's really interesting is that every time you act on behalf of Jesus and you're acting in sync with Jesus, it's not just you talking, it's the authority of Jesus. You got some swag. You got some, you got some authority in your life. And, but here's the thing. Does Jesus, give, give authority, does Jesus give us authority to wag our finger in people's faces? Or does Jesus give us authority to, like, you know, make some ridiculous YouTube video about how everybody's a bunch of sinners and super judgmental on people? It says he gave them authority to do what? To drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Spiritual healing and physical healing. You want to work in the power of God, you know what we should start doing? We should start meeting people's physical needs, and we should start meeting people's spiritual needs. That's what God's called us to do, to give people hope for eternity, hope in heaven, and hope in this earth. So there's a call. That call comes with authority, but the call is specific. We're called to love people, heal people, give people hope, not to condemn them. He, Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to condemn the world. I came, I came that the world may be saved. So there's a call, and then this is really cool. There's a plan. There's a plan. We could spend all night on this, but I want to just kind of, I want you to think about this later. But just think, look at this. Jesus gives the disciples a plan. He doesn't just send them out and say, oh, good luck, guys. He gives them a plan. This is the first thing he says. He tells them exactly who they're supposed to reach. And he says, reach your hometown. He says, don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. What he's saying is don't jump over your friends 
and don't jump over your family to go save people that are a million miles away when you got people that are right around you that need Jesus. That applies to us too, right? We shouldn't be stepping over our brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, step the moms, stepdads, try to save the world without trying to save our the people that are close to us, our friends too, our cliques, the people that are in your clique, the people that are in your group at school that you eat lunch with every day that don't have the hope of Jesus. We should be we should be trying to get them safe. So reach the people that are close to you. Then, who should I reach? What should I do? Look at verse 8. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. So here's the idea. Jesus says, I've given to you something. Right? Jesus gave us salvation. What are we supposed to do to the, about the thing that we freely received? The, say, the salvation we freely received, he says, freely give it out. Jesus wants us to be a river, not a dam. If you, you understand how dams work, right? There's a, there's a river running down. Beach Fork is a dam. There's these little creeks that feed into Beach Fork, and then it all gets dammed up, and it's this big lake. And just a little trickle of water comes out below that dam and goes into another creek. It's actually the best place to fish at Beach Fork, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, But don't dam up everything that God has given you. Here's something to think about, and I want you to listen to the way I say this so you understand what I'm saying. If you're damming up the blessings of God, you're damming the people that need them. Think about that. Um, so freely give, freely receive. But here's the problem. We, we get intimidated. We're like, I know people need hope, but, like, they're kind of mean. <laughs> like, they're kind of intimidating. Like, he's, like, three inches taller than me, and he, like, you know, could lift a small car over his head. Like, 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 like how, how am I going to do this? Where are the resources going to come from? This is really interesting in, in, in verse 9. Jesus says, don't take any gold or silver or, or cop, copper to take with you. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Jesus, Jesus is sending them on a multiple-day trip to go and, and, and share his hope with people. And, you know, when you go to camp or you go, like, on a, on a trip or something, your mom's, like, always, like, make sure you pack an extra pair of underwear. I don't know what it is about moms always are, like, scared to death that you're not going to have enough underwear. But, you know, you're, you're, you're packing more than you need. Like, when we go on mission trips, some of you girls, like, your suitcases are just ridiculously heavy. I'm thinking, what did you bring? Like, an anvil? You think the Coyote and Roadrunner are going to be on this trip? But um, we always want to make sure we have everything when we're going on a trip. And Jesus gives what is really terrible advice, isn't it? Don't take anything with you. If you don't know who Jesus is, this is terrible advice. But if you know who Jesus is, it makes total sense. Because we know that Jesus would not give us a call and he would not give us authority without providing for what we need every day. So we trust Jesus. That's part of the plan. And here's one that's really cool. This is the only way I could describe it. How do you do it? Just be ridiculously innovative. Verse 16, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. We should understand the way the world works. There, there are some people who, you know, there are some Christians out there who think they need to totally like build a fence. We could call them Trump Christians, I guess. <laughs> they, they want to build a wall between them and people who are not Christians so they can be protected from people who are not Christians. But you know what's really, well, we'll get, we'll get into that later. But what Jesus says is you should understand the way the world works and you should make your message to where people can understand it. And you should make what you're doing to where people can understand it. We're going to talk about that later. But Jesus wants you, long story short, Jesus wants you to have fun as you reach people. We'll leave it there and we'll pick that back up. Be ridiculously innovative. Um, be aware of opportunities and seize them. There are ways of reaching people that nobody's thought of yet. And here's a pretty cool promise as you're trying to reach through your click. 
is that you don't have to do it alone. There's a a call to comforter, because that's what God calls him in the Bible, the Holy Spirit. This is a promise that Jesus makes. Um, it's in verse 20. He says, you, it will not be you, when, you're t- when you're sharing the hope that you have, you, it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Um, there have been times where I've been you know, so scared, there's like you know, a wet spot <laughs> below me. I'm so scared about sharing my faith with somebody or talking to someone. I'm not like necessarily a confrontational guy, but there were times where God so blessed just because you know, I gathered all the courage I had and was obedient. And as I'm talking to this person, I'm like, how am I saying this? Because I'm a stupid guy and I'm saying things that actually make sense and that you couldn't be me. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. So God, God, there's a, God, there's a need and you are God's answer to that need. You're God's answer to that need. You're the one who shares the good news. That's the truth. So how do we do it? That's the big thing, right? I think if, you, if you're here and you're a Christian, I think you pretty, pretty much know, yeah, God wants me to tell others about him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I think, you, I think you're kind of seeing, okay, this is something important. Why in the world are Christians so, like, twerked up about sharing their faith? Like, why? Like, why do they have to always, like, be telling other people about Jesus? Why can't they just keep their faith by, to themselves? Let me share with you why. It's because we believe that Jesus wants us to partner with him to share hope with people. So I came up with this little acrostic. Um, it's partner. You know what acrostic means, right? Like, a word start, you know, every, you know, first letter of a word spells out a word, and the first letter of all these points are going to spell out partner, because we're supposed to partner with God, and the, we'll start out with, you know, no F words tonight, it's an acrostic, we're going to start out with the, the P, the P, in, <laughs> put the P in partner, um, um, the first thing we should be doing is we should be praying for opportunities, Colossians 4.1, it says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Um, North Korea tried to launch a missile at the U.S. two weeks ago. I don't know, how, anybody aware of that or you seen anything on the news about that? Um, there's a little problem though um, with their missile shooting. Um, I've shot bottle rockets farther than they've shot their missiles. <laughs> they didn't even make it out of the country, okay? And they're a little country. So, there are a lot of people, though, in North Korea that need Jesus. They live under an oppressive dictator. He's trying to shoot missiles at me. His missiles can't make it to me. But you know what? My prayers can make it to North Korea. I can pray for people that I can't even come in contact with. I can pray for my friend who's on the other side of the world. I can pray for you guys while you're in school. I've never met someone who, when I said, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? Is there something I can pray about for you? I've never met anyone from someone who's a Christian to someone who's an atheist who said, I don't want you praying for me. Like, why would you pray for, like, don't, please don't pray for me. I've never met anyone who said that. We want to pray for opportunities, and we want to pray for people. Um, the next one, the A, uh, the next one is, um, is appe- this is really cool, appeal to common interests. And this is where the fun kind of kicks in. Appeal to common interests. Um, do what? That's not what I'm talking about. Um, read this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He says, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You know how to reach your clique? You know, maybe you're like, I'm the only one from my clique that comes to school or comes to church, Matt. Like, what do I do? What does your clique like to do? Maybe your clique, maybe your friends like to play Xbox. Do you know that Xbox can be a spiritual thing? 
Let me, let me explain that. What is it that you like to do more than anything else? Just think about it. Maybe say, turn to the person next to you and tell them what you like to do more than anything else. Okay, so think about it. What do you like to do more than anything else? You know, if you're a Christian, here's the thing. God wants you to use that thing. God wants you to use that thing to share your faith. If you like hitting the gym, you like getting gains, invite someone to go to the gym with you. You like playing Xbox, have a big, obnoxious LAN party. At, you got to be a nerd to know what a LAN party is. Have a big, obnoxious LAN party at your house on a Saturday night and say, hey, guys, um, you know, make it a sleepover. Say, hey, guys, tomorrow morning we're going to church, so make sure you set your alarm. If you like to karaoke, go karaoke with somebody. You'd be surprised how many people like to karaoke, including your youth pastor. Um, but but here, here, here's the thing. We, we've made sharing our faith that we have to knock on somebody's door and say, Hello, my name is Matt Andrew. Can I tell you about the plan of salvation? I think I'd get unsaved if you tried to witness me like that. No. Um, but um, appeal to people's common interests. There's something that you do that is your passion, and you know what? You're going to be a lot more joyful reaching people by playing Xbox than you are by working yourself into a tizzy to try to say the right things. Spend time with people. So appeal to common interests. That's the, that's the A. Here's the R, and this is an important one. Here's the R. Reach out in love. 1 Thessalonians 2.2, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. God never said make people your project. You know what I think is, is, is sad? And I, sometimes I felt like I'm the pro, somebody else's project. But we're like, okay, I'm going to love this person as long as they come to church every week. Or I'm going to love this person as long as they never screw up. Or I'm going to love this person, you know, as long as they're not like, they don't talk about my mama. Like, like, reach out in love means we don't make people our projects. Do you realize that Jesus knew, because Jesus is God, when he hung on the cross, he knew that there were some people, because he can see into the future, he knew that there were some people who would never say yes to him, who would never accept his gift of salvation, yet he still died for them. That means that we, we love people, we make people our friends, not, not specific, not whether or not we think they're going to accept our beliefs or not. We love them because Jesus loved us, and we love them. And we share our lives with them. Uh, so that's the R. Um, the T is tell your story. There's one thing. You, you may not know much about math. You may not know how to use the Oxford comma in a proper way in English class. But you know one thing you're an expert on more than your teachers, more than your parents, more than the smartest person in your school, the one thing you're an expert on more than anybody else is your story. Acts 1.8 said you, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, you will be my witnesses. That, that's a legal term, right? Jesus didn't say you will be my judges to pronounce people guilty. He didn't say you will be my attorneys to argue for me. He said you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness just says whatever he or she saw or whatever he or she experienced. What you know is what you experienced, that once you were dead and Jesus made you alive, and once you didn't have hope and Jesus gave you hope. 
Nobody knows more about your story. Nobody is an expert on your story more than you are. So, you know, there's a time to walk people through things in the Bible. But you know what? Your story may be a lot like somebody else's story. Your story may have started with depression. And it ended with figuring out who you are in Christ. And there's probably somebody that really needs to hear that right now. So tell your story. The end is nurture relationships. You can't win your enemies to Christ, only your friends. The people you push away will not become saved and they will not receive the hope of Jesus as a result of your pushing them away. You can only win your friends to Christ. So we should be pursuing friendships. Romans 12, 15 says, Do not be proud, but be willing to be associated with people of low position. And then he just says it again, just to make sure we got it. Do not be conceited. You know, one of the charges leveled against Jesus was that he was a drunk and that he was a glutton because he hung out with so many people who lived the party lifestyle. And we could get into, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to isolate ourselves from the world, but he doesn't also want us to become like the world. He wants us to insulate ourselves from the world. You know what's really cool? A fish. Not just a fish. But a fish can swim in the ocean its entire life, be caught and put on somebody's plate, cooked. And you know what one of the first things somebody, especially like me, is going to do? They're going to get the salt, and they're going to put the salt on that fish. You realize that, sw- that fish swam around in salt water its entire life, but still somehow it never got salty. It's because it was insulated. If God can insulate a fish in salt water to make it to where it doesn't absorb the salt, don't you think the power of God, the Holy Spirit living in you, can insulate you from becoming like the world as you're pursuing the lost and dying people. We need to stop. Our default position should not be this. Our default position should be this. We should nurture friendships. We should seek out. You're never going to reach people for Christ if you don't have people in your life that need Christ. Within, within our small groups at church, we should, we should have one person that is in our group that's not a believer. In our cliques, if, 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 if you're one of those cliques that's just all Christian people, you should have somebody in your group that's not a believer. If, if you don't seek these friendships out, they're not going to happen. We need to invest in people's lives. Um, e, expect God to act. There's a story. You may not care about this, but I care about it. <laughs> um, there, there's this great preacher like that he lived 150 years ago. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And um, he, he pastored one of the largest churches in the world at that time. And every service when he would preach, people would get saved. People would give their lives to Jesus. And someone came up to him and said, you know, it was another preacher, and he said, every time I preach, nobody comes to Christ. And every time you preach, somebody comes to Christ. He's like, what's wrong with me? And Charles Spurgeon said, do you really expect someone to come to Christ every time you preach? And he said, well, of course not. And Spurgeon said, there's your problem. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Our world, it's all visual. It's all on Instagram, Snapchat. It's all about what we can see. But we got to have to remember that we worship Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, we have to put our faith in the fact that Jesus, has, that Jesus is doing something in the life of the person that you're trying to reach. And even though you don't see it right now, he's doing it. He's working in that guy's heart. He's working in that girl's heart. He is. And we have to have faith in that. We have to expect God to act. I think we're always afraid of what people are going to say if we have a conversation with them about Jesus. So we're afraid. Jesus, the message of Jesus is not rabies. It's not, it's not like the bird flu. 
It's not the Zika virus. It's not something that we should be ashamed of telling people about. It's good news. It's about the only person who can give you a purpose in life and give you eternal life and save you from your sins and give you a reason to live. We have good news. So when we share that good news, we should expect God to act. And the final thing is we should represent Christ with our lives. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Our life is like a living Bible that people read. Yeah, this is a, it's a quote that's said a lot, but you may be the only Bible that some people read. People are watching us. People are, if, you, if you claim the name of Jesus, guess what? People are watching you. And they're not just watching about, to see what you do at church or what you do at FCA at school. They're watching to see what you're like on social media. They're watching to see what you're like when it's just you and your little clique and you're talking about people. They're watching to see what you're like when your team loses. People are watching. So Christianity is not a switch we flip on a couple times a week. Christianity is a lifestyle. And I think one of the, and this is on a DC Talk song. You're too young to remember DC Talk, but this is on a DC Talk song. It says one of the things that an unbelieving world finds the most unbelievable is Christians who worship Jesus with their mouth and deny him with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. You know what's sad? There are people that are not here tonight because of our lifestyles. So let's kind of think about this and draw this to a close. We know what it means to partner with Jesus to reach people. So the first question is, how's your click? Is your click a Jesus click? Or is your click the Webster's definition of a click? Jesus' click didn't just actively welcome people. They actively went to reach people. So the first question is, who's your click reaching? Who's your click reaching? If you have a click that is the majority, it's, it's, it's people who believe in Jesus, who's your click reaching? The next question is, what are you going to do to reach your click? You know, you, you, your, your click isn't here. Your click is banned. Your click is the soccer team. Your click is, you know, your click is collegium. What, do you, what, can, what can you do to reach your click? Find the one thing you love doing more than anything else and commit it to God. And I promise you, he's going to give you an idea how to use that to reach people. And the final thing is maybe you've heard about, oh, you know, we need to give people hope about Jesus, but you've never experienced what it means to have hope in Jesus. Um, think about it. Think about what Jesus said, that he's the one that gives hope. And maybe tonight you, would, you just want to invite Jesus into your life and, and, and receive that hope that Jesus provides. So we're going to pray together, and then we're going to go downstairs, and we're going to, um, we're going to split up and talk about this. Um, Father, I pray that we will be people who are open to others, um, people that we walk by every day and just don't even think about, and frankly, we don't care about. That means we're not living in your love. So, Father, I pray that um, you will break our hearts. Um, I think we need more brokenness. Um, I think we need more realization of how broken we are and how broken others are and, 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 and how we're just one, one hungry, one beggar that tells the other beggar where to go get the food. I pray that you'll give us a spirit of humility and brokenness and that you'll give us a desire to reach the people that are inside our clique and, and that our cliques will be people that reach outside their cliques. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.